Welcome to Cisco Champion Radio. Today we'll be talking about AI network analytics with JP Vassor. Our Cisco Champion host today is Peter Jan Nefkins and Josh Warkoff. As for me, I'm Brett Shore from the Cisco Product Marketing Team and I'll be playing the part of moderator. JP, if you can introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do at Cisco, that'd be a great start. Super, hey, hey Brett. Um, so I'm JP, I've been at Cisco for 20 years and I'm actually driving the machine learning AI um, team uh, within the engineering. Great. Now, Josh, uh, who are you? What do you do? Uh, Josh Warcup. I've been in the uh, partner delivery space for over a decade, and I help uh, implement the things that Cisco delivers as products. Perfect. And Peter Young, same for you. Yeah, my name is Peter Nefkins, working for my own company, wrote an uh, intent-based networking book, which is going to be published in September, small pitch. Uh, I've been working with Cisco for 20 years already. Fantastic. Let me pass this back over to you, Josh, to kick off the podcast. Thanks, Brett. So we had an introductory keynote today about machine learning, and some introductory questions also come up in that process. Okay, so we, we know we need to get there with machine learning. Uh, we know that there's a lot of data that we have on the network and accessibility to that. So one of the open questions that I have would be, where are we going to do some of that processing, right? Is it machine learning? Is it solely cloud-based? Are we, are we talking about processing of that data on-premises, inside of DNA Center? If you could kind of walk us through where that happens, yeah. that would be beneficial. Thank you, Josh. This is a great question. So we have multiple models, first of all. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, the first model that we have is basically uh, where we're training the algorithm in the cloud. Mm -hmm. So basically we're taking a telemetry, we push a telemetry in the cloud after anonymization, as we said during the keynote today, as you said, and you do the training over there, but you also do inference in the cloud. So that's model number one. The model number two is where you basically do the training in the cloud, but you do the inference at the edge of the network. So in other words, you, you can push the model, so the training per se is happening in the cloud, but basically you're using the machine learning model at the edge of the network on-prem. Mm -hmm. And we also have another model where you could even have the training on-premise at the edge of the network, but, and you would do the inference as well. But you know, the, the thing is that the beauty of the cloud is that you're exposed to a lot of data, right. you have a lot of diversity, you do, you do what we call cross-learning as well, mm -hmm. like cross-learning for data set. So that's why the cloud is the ideal place you know, to do this kind of training. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned the you know, telemetry that's going to be you know, either on-prem or pushing up to the cloud. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about the anonymization of that traffic? And, yeah. and is that something that is a, a, a separate product? Is it built into the product? Uh, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, this is another good question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we keep going with good questions, right, by infinition. So there we go. That's why you guys are Cisco <laughs> champion. Um, so we do, you know, the, the way we're doing anonymization is via encryption of, of um, you know, private data, mm -hmm. it that way. Uh, and we have a unified mechanism for doing that. So it is actually on DNA that we have this agent that looks at private data and we, we encrypt the data, we send the anonymized data in the cloud and then it comes back. Um, and so we don't have a key, by the way. The key is owned by the customer and, that, and you can still do some fairly good training uh, using you know these machine learning algorithms in the cloud on an initial uh, of the data, and this is a unified mechanism for multiple products, yeah, not just the one we, we because you about. use the same key, the same endpoint, is having the same encrypted output as yes. well. Yeah, right. And um, but this is the same mechanism because we never we didn't want to come up with multiple ways of gathering the telemetry, doing anonymization, storing the data lake, and uh, one of the obvious uh, reasons for doing that, having a real platform, is to 
support a wide range of uh, use cases and, and services uh, on top. So, so we don't come up with any silos. Yes, yeah, so, but on the artificial intelligence and the, the model learning, how do you validate it? Because it's all encrypted, so how do you know that the training, whether it's in the cloud or on-prem, is actually delivering the proper values? Well, you know, the thing is that um, so some of the data that we want to anonymize, which is related to privacy, um, is things such as user ID or the location as well. And for most models, we actually don't need to know the user ID. We don't need so you can do a really good job at, at you know training the model without having to know the identity or even the IP address. As you know, in some countries, the MAC address is part of your private yes. you know, setup. It uh, is. <laughs> and you know these countries in Europe. <laughs> so, uh, so that's why we want to protect that. But there's, there's still no issue doing the training on anonymized data. Okay. Is it, a, is it a matter of just looking at a particular traffic flow, adding a signature to that, and then having that processed and sent back? So you know what, maybe what I can do, I can maybe walk you through an actual use case. It okay. could be yeah, a nice way to, to introduce the, the topic. Um, and usually, you know, I've got also this question about um, why are we using machine learning, by the way? So let me, let me step back on where we were just three years ago. Okay. If you look at wireless, and that's one use case that I used this morning, um, we, how do you know what is a good throughput for wireless? It's extremely difficult to set a threshold because it varies all the time. So it depends on the environment, it depends on many things. So when we looked at that use case at the first, because, and let me step back even more. Um, I don't believe that machine learning is the right answer to every single problem. There are many, many use cases for which you just don't need it. Now, if you look at that particular use case, uh, uh, it, it, it is, um, well, we have a good party going on yeah, outside, so we might have to break <laughs> in a second. Yeah, but I think they, they, they must be celebrating the announcement of machine learning today. That's, that's what it is. Oh, yeah, it's machine learning dance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think so as well. <laughs> so anyway, um, so let's take that concrete example. So here, what you're trying to do is, is really to look at the, the actual performance of a network you know, in terms of throughput. If you look at wireless, it depends on the, the noise as we can hear around us, right? Yeah. Lots lot, lot of noise. Number of users, the application we use, the type of device, so there are hundreds of dimensions. So if you look at that particular use case, then you cannot really come up with a set of threshold that says if the number of users is equal to X and the noise is equal to Y, then I would expect this group to be you know, that. Right. Um, so this is how we see the value of machine learning in this case, because we look at hundreds of dimensions, you come up with a good prediction of, of what's going on, and then we, you are outside of a prediction, then you can, this is how you can flag some anomaly. That, that's really, that was the real motivation behind the scene. But then you could also use that same principle to see what's happening over time. So, for example, every Monday, my wireless network is behaving like this in this bandwidth, and suddenly something is happening, so it's using more bandwidth. So I could detect those anomalies as well using machine learning. So we do, and that's, what, that's also what we do. Another one related to time-based, um, is when you look at, for example, um, the performance on SD-WAN. Mm -hmm. So what we, we, we looked at was the ability to look at seasonal SLA violation, which is a very interesting use case because, again, it's very seasonal. So what we found out is that the machine actually can detect by itself that every Monday between 4 p.m. and 5 p.m., for example, you have SLA violation all the time. And it's strictly based on time, in this case, but ML is a great tool to figure out that kind of seasonality on, on, on school. 
Okay. Is it is for following that principle of seasonality and timing? Does that also help bring down maybe what's alerted to the administrator? Right. The, the intention is to bring down the noise, maybe not only on the network, but also bring down the noise sent to the administrator or someone who has to monitor the network. So it depends what you mean by by uh, the noise. Okay. Could you alerting? Alerting. Right. So there's a problem. Oh yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Mm -hmm. And you know the thing that I wanted to highlight as well is. It is actually, when you look at anomaly detection, usually people think immediately of machine learning, but this is a very hard problem to do because what makes sense is not to raise an anomaly, but raise an anomaly that is relevant for the user. Relevant, so, yeah. And that's really the issue. Right. Uh, and uh, we've been working a lot on making, you know, improving the relevancy uh, you know, for the user, because in many cases, if you look at ML to detect anomalies, it's easy to raise anomalies, mm -hmm. mathematically speaking, I mean. But we need to raise anomalies that do make sense and are relevant. And I don't know if you noticed, but uh, during the keynote, I was talking about the thumbs up, thumbs down. Right, right. And you know, everybody understands, you know, uh, when you're listening to music, uh, of course, you know, you, you want the machine to propose you songs that you are likely to enjoy, mm -hmm. we do exactly the same thing. So by providing feedback uh, to, the, to the platform, the platform will start understanding what you like, what you don't like, and what you want to see. Because sometimes anomalies are a bit subjective as well, right? right. If you get security, a number of times we looked at machine learning models to detect um, abnormal uh, traffic. And you, you, the guy in the sock is looking at it and say, yeah, but it's not, it is an anomaly, if you will, but it's not security attack to me, so it's not relevant. You show the same anomaly to another person, and they're gonna say, oh, but for me, it does make sense. You know, I'm glad you, you guys, you know. So that's why we came up with that, that way of uh, personalizing even more the type of anomaly that we were with. with wireless, there's so many use cases oh, for absolutely. wireless. An office is completely different from a warehouse. Absolutely. So those anomalies can be have a very big impact on a warehouse. Yes. Because your logistic service is being blocked because of this anomaly. Yes. While in the office network, it's high density, people can work. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you know, uh, as I said, we, we have just for this use case about related to the throughput, we've got potentially hundreds of, of dimensions in the model. So sounds easy, you know, when you look at it, but in, in reality, the, the modeling is, is very, is very uh, sophisticated, but we want it to make very easy to use. The ease of use with ML is actually fundamental. If you require people to have a PhD in mathematics to use it, you know, that's at the end of, of the story. So that's why we, we try to make it a very, very, very intuitive as well. Yeah, and the big data crunching is on AI, on the training. Yes. And then there's a model and you can just apply that on general purpose hardware. That's right. Even. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And I could, I could show you numbers, but the ability for us to have access to so much data, we all know that machine learning needs volume of data. What people don't always understand is diversity. And I can give you some examples, but when we started to deploy this product, it was you know, based on a, on a few types of data, but the first time we showed to the machine uh, the traffic coming from a stadium, right. when you go from 300 users to 30,000 in, in one hour, you know, when the game starts, the machine was getting coming nuts. Which makes sense, right? Because sure. you cannot go... It's an influx of, of additional data it wasn't prepared for. That's right, right. that's yeah. right. And so that's why the diversity is so critical. So back to your point, Josh, about the telemetry, we're gathering the telemetry from a lot of different points, but this way we have also access to a lot of verticals, and that's how we can get access to different profiles of traffic, different mobility patterns, different type of devices, and we see a ton. Right. And that's and what and makes also the, the context because at stadium when there's no game it's 300. Absolutely. 
and then th suddenly 30,000, if you don't have the context that that game is just... That's right. It will detect as an anomaly. Exactly. I can, I can give you another example. Um, for the first time we were running the systems in uh, universities, you would see every hour there was an issue. Because you see the, all the students moving, you know, and it was exactly one hour each hour. Because the class change? Yeah, Is that what of it course. Was? Yeah. Because <laughs> these guys, you know, they would keep the, the, their, their iPhone in the, the back pocket, mm -hmm. and you could see a lot of failures all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's what the type of thing the, the model would learn. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, it makes, makes sense. It makes it also difficult to have that AI training that model and validating that data and that anomaly. That's, that's difficult. Because yeah. you're working with anonymized data, so if you have a detected anomaly, I don't know what's happening outside, but it's noise. How do you know, how can you match that it's really truly a, a true positive and not a false positive? So, how do you validate? I'm still searching for that methodology. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. it's an equation. Yeah, right? yeah. It's, it's, an, it's an import of, I, I know this much, I expect this much, so tell me the difference. <laughs> yes, but, but you need to validate. Um, yeah. I, w I went to NVIDIA last Friday and they, they did also artificial intelligence for graphic improvement on X-rays, low resolution to better ones, and they validated that with medical systems. Yeah. So these PhDs, these medical doctors, they validated the images that they were really correct. Totally. And the same with the ones that they used for model learning, because they don't have enough images to generate it. Yeah. Yeah. artificial intelligence and had them validated. So, so would we need to give the, uh, the the person receiving the visualization, like we mentioned, a, a thumbs up button, right? Everything is good right now, so we're helping train. Uh, right, but you know, you, you, Peter, there, there's a risk to that. Yeah, yeah, uh, there is. There because is. If, if there's so many thumbs up on an enterprise network for a campus environment, you might block that anomaly in a logistics warehouse, like Amazon, who's doing a lot of wireless LAN controllers as well. Yeah. So, but you know, it's Peter, a bit sketchy. Yeah, <laughs> but you are touching a very important uh, challenge with with machine learning. We've got multiple classes of problems, but usually we we refer to them as uh, with ground truth and without ground truth. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that. Um, if you look at problems where you have a ground truth, I'll give an example. Suppose you're trying to predict a failure and you, you, you have a lot of examples of failures of a link of a router, for example. Then you, you are basically training right. your algorithm with, with a ground truth data. So you say it fails or it doesn't fail, right? So then you can start measuring the false positive, the true positive. Now, when you look at an anomaly, it is by definition a bit subjective because it depends on who is looking at it. So there's no ground truth, if you will, which makes the problem much harder for us. Yes. Um, and that's why we introduce the thumbs up, thumbs down. So this way we can customize based on your own feedback. But it also takes it on only specific for my situation, the thumbs up, thumbs down? Yes, it does. Okay. It does. And so the more feedback you give, the better. But of course, we, we tune the algorithm to make it work for the vast majority. Uh, and then if you keep showing thumbs down to the machine for your own environment, we're going to try to filter out this kind of anomaly and encourage the, encourage the, the other one. For specifically my environment? Yes, yes. Ah, okay. yes that's that exactly makes right. it less sketchy. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. Because again of a lack of, of ground truth. So sometimes a lot of people, you know, when you do anomaly detection, they basically uh, say, um, you know, it was a false positive. No, because there's no ground truth by definition. You know, when I can tell you, you know, I, I have a lot of mathematicians in my, my team, and for them, they say, hey, it was a real anomaly. So, mathematically speaking, it was an anomaly. Mm -hmm. But from a user standpoint, they say it is, they call it a false positive because it was irrelevant. 
But it was a real, uh, you know, true positive in terms of anomaly. But again, it was irrelevant. That's why we went to yeah. from that, from that. Yeah, re relevance is subjective to yeah, the person yeah. looking at it, right? That's right. So that's yeah. and, and and going back to the learning of, of the data that's being fed to the machine, right? There was even that good example of right it, from from a picture or facial recognition, right? It's learned yeah. a lot in that process of if you're training the data with something that maybe has just as an example a Cisco logo at the bottom of every picture. Right, it, the anomaly will become well. It doesn't have a Cisco logo on it, so so you, you definitely have to be careful yeah, of you, you what's an anomaly and what's subjective. You, you to can it. even I've I've seen examples that you have a picture of a banana, and if you mm -hmm. put some other picture on top of it, it's completely different because of the detection is detecting a different pixelized thing. That's right, but at least you know in that particular example, we we, we can assess the performance of the algorithm because we have a ground truth. So you show. A number of pictures, you know, the one with the Cisco logo or a banana, whatever, so we can measure the performance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're all waving here. Everybody yeah, yeah. says hi. Yeah, exactly. You guys <laughs> don't see the video, but that's okay. Yeah, there's, there's no video, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> so, have you guys been exposed to machine learning in the in the past? Some, some. So, some on the facial recognition side, specifically addressing privacy concerns. All right. Yeah. So, there's there's a lot of obviously. Maybe that's a sidebar topic or another podcast to go into that, but we're t we're talking about how to make it work. So, so some exposure there. I've I've been touching it using uh, Core Metal on my or Core Machine Learning on my iPhone to detect access points. Yeah, I see. So I've trained my iPhone to learn to detect access points with an um, eighty percent, ninety percent accuracy. Ah, that's nice. That's nice. But you know what is fascinating to me as well is is that we're just we're just scratching the surface. So to me, what what makes this announcement so exciting? is that we're not launching a, a, a product on wireless. We've been working on the platform for years. So back to your point, Josh, you know, we're building really a platform that allows us to get the telemetry, anonymize, have a unified data lake. Um, so I, I talked a little bit this morning about SD-WAN. We've got many other areas and across the main is going to be fascinating as well because now we can do machine learning end-to-end from an end device down to the data center, because we, we see the whole spectrum, you know, from from end to end, including the cloud. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so I can give you another example, um, which is related to again cross domain. If you look at wireless, roaming and you know roaming issues, joining issues, um, a lot of people you know blame wireless, but it turns out to be a DHCP problem, DHCP, or it could yes. be right yeah. a AAA. You guys know that. Ice policy you know. could be. Oh ah, yes, those exactly. Yeah. So or a sticky clients that it, is right. client specific and it's not a wireless network, it's the client. <laughs> totally. And I, I'm not even talking about the throughput, right? right? When you have bad throughput, it turns out to be congestion on the WAN itself. So having the visibility end to end really allows us to, to, to look at these sort of things. We've got all you know also some proof of concept um, about cross domain in the context of wireless, for example. Yeah. Which it's so painful for our customers when they have to look at wireless and say, okay, let me, let me do a trace route, look mm -hmm. at the WAN, and then in data center. So we're hoping to glue all these pieces together. Yeah, and it's still half duplex wireless, yes. the endpoint. And that yeah. makes it more difficult troubleshooting as well. It's so complex. Yeah, yeah wireless you know, is notoriously known as, as not being a simple technology. Super useful, right? We love it. Absolutely, it's the primary connecting factor in the enterprise, but still, it's, yeah. it's actually amazing that we get so many data across it. Oh, totally, totally. So from a, from a, a practical uh, application perspective, is this telemetry something that we'll be able to provide up to the cloud or, or wherever we, we choose to deploy it from a, uh, 
you know, accept these terms and conditions, click yes, and, and that telemetry then goes off to the cloud yeah. for each domain controller, right? So that from APIC, from vManage, uh, from SD yes. access, DNA center, DNA, those sorts of things. Totally, and that's where DNA comes into play, by the way, because with DNA, that's the beauty of it. You know, you have access to so much data, the telemetry is already there. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's a matter of potentially collecting even more data, anonymize it, and then run the machine learning algorithm in the background. Mm -hmm. and it's not a one shot. Sometimes people ask me and say, "How often are you running, rerunning?" But we keep we keep running the in the background, um, so the machine keeps improving itself. Like what you've been doing with uh, with security for mm -hmm. such a long time. But on the option of AI learning on prem, that requires quite a lot of hardware, probably. Yeah, well, you know, and uh, in some cases it well, is... We have UCS chassis for that. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's a very good point. So, yeah, we do see some applications where you can't really afford for the IoT. Yeah, right. IoT is a good example where if you have a 3G link, it might be a bit expensive to send telemetry uh, to the cloud. And in that case, you may be able to do some inference training, sorry, on-prem. Uh, and it may not be always so expensive. It depends what you're trying to do. Some algorithms are very expensive, like uh, LSTM is one example. In that case, you may need to have a GPU, you know, on the box mm -hmm. at the edge. But for some of them, they could be lightweight enough so that you can do even a training on-premise. Okay. And we even came up, you know, in the past with approaches where the, the training was done on each routers at the edge of a network and they were exchanging you know, their, their training at okay. the same time. So it was a massively distributed engine uh, as well. So it was actually for computing itself. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. It, was, it was absolutely for computing, which is a concept we've been talking about for a long time. A long, long, long time. Yeah, a long time, yeah. So it is there with the IoT. Definitely, you know, we, we see some, some killer app over there. Okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. Is this something that's going to be available now, soon? How, how, do, how would we engage on the, the email platform? So very soon. Um, we we're just talking about a few months, okay. uh, so it's it's around the corner, oh. and we've been doing early trial for a long time now, right? Because you know that's that's typically a technology where you need to have access to data, right? You mm -hmm. can't just develop a product, and you, you need to. You do can't just provide the platform. That's right. Nothing nothing there to look at. That's yeah. right. We we we've been having uh, dozens of customers working with us, so. It's not like, you know, for us, it's not completely a new product, but indeed, the commercially available uh, uh, platform would be DNA 1.4, which is just around the corner. Yeah. Okay. Would yeah. you guys want to try that? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I will. Okay, that's going to be fun. We'll have it in production and in the lab. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Locations, yeah. yeah. Yeah, same here. You know, the, the lab also was a, was a tricky piece as well, because um, we are very lucky. We have a lot of you know, customers like, like you guys. And, um, but at the same time, when you want to try machine learning, you cannot do that in a lab. That's, that's, that's There's nothing issue. there. Yes, yeah, exactly. uh, that's right. <laughs> you need high volume and realistic data as well. Right. Emulating, you know, traffic is so difficult. As we all know, it's not, the fidelity of a territory is not high enough to... to but the diversity isn't there as well. Yeah. And you need diverse traffic to have those unique data streams. That's right. Otherwise, it's, you cannot learn. No, 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 exactly. You need to, learn over a long period of time at a high scale. With well. a lot of time series data sets. That's right, yeah. exactly. But this is a, you know, this is a fun ride because as I said, we talked only, we, we talked a little bit about wireless today, but, and I mentioned by the way the throughput, mm -hmm. um, I could have mentioned the percentage of failures when joining, uh, the onboarding time as well. We have many, many KPIs for which we're using machine learning today. 
those those KPIs are those being developed only internally at Cisco, or is that also partner feedback of here's what we want to see, or maybe an, an additional thing we want to measure? Oh, we've been collecting feedback from partners and customers quite a bit. You know, right. what I can tell you is uh, the one thing we did not want to do was just to do AI ML for the sake of doing it and just say, okay, we're going to build a platform and see. Right. Uh, no, that's not how we approach it. What we did was to have a very use case driven approach. Yes. And, you know, my job actually, believe it or not, is, is also to look at the problem, make sure that machine learning is the right answer to it, and sometimes say, you know what, that's not needed. We, we can move, you know, with a simpler approach. Right. So in that case, we got a ton of feedback from our customers, and that's how we, we ended up there, where we are today. And, and the whole solution is just a service-based, or can I use APIs to ask questions to the machine learning as well? So, yeah, it's a good question, Peter. It is difficult to do that. Yeah, um, I can imagine. I mean, yeah. how can you develop the APIs for something that's so dynamic? Exactly, exactly. And also, you need really to have a deep understanding on how the machine learning algorithm works, and a specific model that you're requesting exactly. too. And sometimes, you know, it's not just one model. You know, for some use cases, we have multiple models working together. And so it's not such a simple API as the one you would find for the iPhone, you know, when you want to, to ask a question to your iPhone. So it's difficult to do. Um, another question we have sometimes is, could I run my own algorithm on your data? But you know, the thing is that they are not decoupled. You mm -hmm. need to understand the data very deeply. Yes. Um, and so it's not that easy People tend to think, okay, I've got the data, I look at TensorFlow, whatever, I've got a lot of algorithm. Just put these guys, you know, the two together, that's not exactly how it works. It takes a ton of time to... To understand the data sets exactly. and what the data set means exactly. and represents. And what is really the... You know, there's a bit of a myth sometimes when you look at deep learning, when people claim that you take a whole bunch of, of features as input, you feed the model with it, and automatically the, the, the model will do some triage on what is noise, what is not noise. That's not the way it works in reality when you implement, pragmatically speaking. Uh, if you inject noise, you, did, you get random outcome as well. So without understanding what is the signal in the data, but also what you want to eliminate because it's just noise, and that's going to confuse your algorithm, you, you will not succeed. And new things like deep fusion re reasoning is going to help there as well. Because yeah. you're working more or less like a parent to training a child what's a traffic light, when it's red, you stop, and when yeah, it's yeah. green, you walk. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Sounds good. So it sounds like we'll be able to experience some of that platform here in the next couple months. Yes. And, uh, definitely looking forward to it. Uh, as, as you just mentioned, right, we've got to do some training. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, training us and the machine for it. And then uh, once it's available, we'll, we'll explore and all learn about it together. Totally. And you know, Josh, what I'm hoping is that you'll be able to use it the day one. You guys are obviously super smart, so I'm not worried. But if, what I mean is you don't need even to understand this ML behind the scene. We, tr we work really hard on the UX as well, the, the user experience, mm -hmm. and make it very intuitive so that people can start using it even without having to know what is underneath. Of course, you guys are always welcome to ask any question because we love the technology, so we want to we want to show it. But we wanted to make it very soft and very easy to use, sure. which is very very important. Just like currently, also DNA Center is already providing yeah. output like, hey, I'm seeing these sticky clients or DHCP is turning slow. That's yeah. Also, machine learning in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's right. Absolutely. Great. Are we all ready to wrap up? I think so. It was, sure. it was a lot of fun to talking to you. Thank you. 
Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much, JP. And by the way, guys, if you want to read more about it, you know, we have some white papers and there's a lot of material being available. Um, so don't hesitate to look at the Cisco website and you'll find out more, more data. And that's also understandable for non-mathematicians. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I tried to make it that way, so <laughs> you have to tell me, Peter. But thank I will. you. It was fun talking to you. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thanks, guys. And this has been another great episode of Cisco Champion Radio. I want to thank all of you for joining us today, especially JP for sharing his insight and for Peter, Jan, and Josh for hosting today's session. Look for this episode and other episodes on iTunes and on Cisco.com slash go slash CCR. I'm Brent Shore, and I played the part of today's moderator. Until next time.